0: It's good to be here. Um, you know what? I have a video I want to show you before I begin teaching. And so it's a short minute, uh, six minute video. It kind of ex- communicates what we do at Terebinth Ministries. And so I think you'll you know, enjoy it. You go ahead and roll that. Then after that, I'll come back up. Okay.
1: In 1991, one evening when I was walking from our village, coming back to town, on my way I happened to meet two soldiers. And uh, during that time is a time when there were serious war going on in Northern Uganda. And uh, so many people were being abducted by soldiers. So many people were mistreated. The officer ordered his escort to shoot at me. I realized that they were determined to kill me. When I began to run, the escort started firing at me, but by the grace of the Lord, I escaped. And from that time on, I knew that God really had planned for me. I committed my life to work with the Lord as my Lord and Savior. What I have come to realize is that so many people have got similar stories to that of mine. So many people are desperate. So many people are looking for hope in Christ. There were a few churches at this time. So many people were involved in witchcraft. So many people were worshiping trees. They were worshiping mountains. And they realized that all of these things are not going to help. And they turned to Christ for hope. We would consider most believers in Northern Uganda a first-generation Christian.
0: Before I came here for the first time in 2010, I really didn't know what to expect. I knew the North had been through decades of war and hardship and aid spread rampantly throughout the country, but I wasn't sure what the people would be like considering all they had been through. Although many were still dealing with the aftermath of the war at the time, there was a joy in these people that attracted me to them. I asked Pastor Fred what his biggest need was, he said, our pastors need Bible training. We can't rebuild without strong churches. So from that day on, we set our sights on creating a type of school that trained pastors to not only learn the Bible but to be effective in their communities. And that's what we have started. We train our students from Genesis to Revelation and how the whole Bible makes up one great storyline. Most of our students come from places where they might not have internet, or they might not have commentaries to help them interpret and learn scripture. So we emphasize interpreting scripture with scripture so that all of our students can better teach their churches and communities and better defend their faith and their theology.
2: 95% of our pastors here in Northern Uganda has no Bible training. Most of our pastors here are fishing farmers. And the salary they get, almost half of it goes to paying school fees for their kids, leaving nursing to care for themselves. Terribin School of Disciples is here to remove that obstacle. We feed them, we lodge them, and give them stipend to support their family when they are here. There is no school like this in Northern Uganda.
0: Our school meets one week a month for three years to teach our students every book of the Bible. In other words, our students and their families literally invest one quarter of their lives for three years to learn scripture. To say that our students and their families are dedicated to learning the word of God is an understatement. Their commitment to the kingdom of God is remarkable.
2: We decided from the beginning of this ministry that being operational sustainable through a business as a mission model is the key to long-term success. We decided to open up a farm that is comprised of grain storage house, milling machine for maize, sunflower and rice, along with egg-laying operation. The profit will go to help supporting our staff and other parts of our ministry. This farm also provides job to the local community as its farmer in selling their grain. It also gives us a unique touch point in the community to share the gospel.
0: There are two passages of scripture that have guided our ministry from the beginning. The first one is the Great Commission that we find in Matthew 28. We are to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that Jesus commanded. And the second scripture is James 1.27. Pure religion is visiting orphans and widows in their distress. We have centered our ministry on these two verses. We're passionate about teaching pastors in the Word of God, teaching them all that Jesus commanded. We believe with all of our heart that healthy churches are the key to strong communities. We know that healthy churches not only teach the Word of God effectively, but they live out the Word of God by going into their communities and reaching the least of these.
2: The Widow's Ministry is where we see the pastoral training and farming projects come together. We've partnered with pastors from our school to be able to reach out to these marginalized people with food and discipleship. This creates an avenue for the pastors to be able to apply what they learn in the school and for their churches to become established within the community. The fruit that we're seeing from this is incredible. We're seeing many of these widows come to salvation and find
0: a place of belonging within the church. What we're asking you to do today is to prayerfully consider partnering with us at Tarramuth Ministries so we can train up more pastors and feed and disciple many more widows. With you on our team, we are confident we can reach many more people with the gospel and truly help rebuild Northern Uganda. Thank you for that. So this is new for me, I'm not a technology guy. Um, But, if you text Uganda to 66866, so go ahead if you want and pull out your phones if you don't mind, and see if this thing works. Text Uganda to 66866 and then you'll start receiving our newsletters on a monthly or so basis. But also you'll receive a seven day devotional we put together for you, uh, for anybody that signs up. And it's free. And it kind of uh, like walks you through some of the stories that are on the field and put some scripture to it. So you can be encouraged to you know how to pray for Uganda and just encourage you to throughout today. So if you don't mind, if you'd like to do that, I would love to have you um, be a part of our newsletter. Um, and what happens is once you do it, then i will ask you for your email address. You put your email address in and then um, they'll confirm it. And so today... And tonight is, and actually it's a unique time for us here at Terebeth Ministries because I have some visitors I would really like you guys to meet. Um, I'm not out there on my own. When I went out there to Uganda, uh, I knew I had a Ugandan team, but I didn't have a missionary team. And God just pieced these things together. And so we have uh, three families total and then two single people. And it just so happens I have some of those people here today. And so if you guys could come up, our families here. And you'll notice real quickly, they're young families. And this is John and Kristen. You might recognize John in that video. He's the director of our school. And this is Kristen and his wife and Matt and Noel, and they're the assistant directors of where our farm is. And uh, they, these guys do so much work for us. I, I couldn't even come close to doing what, what, what we're able to do without the backing. And so Kristen is my assistant. Um, and she just makes, I'm a, I'm a scatterbrained kind of guy. And she kind of keeps me in line. And uh, she's a kind of catch-all. I needed an accounting uh, person. And she just went on YouTube and tried to figure out accounting. And she did it. Uh, it's the type of person that she is, right? And so she's just kind of, she'll write the newsletters, and she'll send them out, and she just does so much for us and helps us out. And John, again, he's this rock solid. He's our um, our director of our school, and this has just done a wonderful job of helping out. And Matt, Noel, they're out there in the bush. That's what we call it, out in the village. And they are living out there. I think you guys have had a malaria at least five times, if not more. Um, I think they like getting it. I don't know. Um, but it's just what happens out there. And uh, they take the medicine as much as they can, but still, it, it comes. And so, she just had a baby, literally a week ago. <laughs> Name is Charlotte. JJ here is being adopted, and they were supposed to be on furlough quite a while. Go ahead and wave, JJ. Go ahead and wave. And uh, it just kept getting delayed and delayed. <laughs> and just be praying for them. Uh, as they are going through that process. We're also going through our process as well as a family, um, but they just got here two days ago. So jet lag like crazy right now. Um, and so Matt and Noel had been back here so she could have a baby. She had a baby in Uganda before and it was a C-section and she didn't want to do that again. And so she came back for that. And so normally we don't have this many people back home on the missionary team because um, we got to make sure things are going along, but that's just the way it worked this year. And so just so you know, I'm not alone. And uh, this is our team, so please be praying for them and thank you for welcoming them. Well, it's been a crazy year for us just like it has been for you. Um, My family, um, I have five children. Um, I have one of my children with me, Abigail, who's sitting over there. Um, She's a beautiful 12 year old girl and uh, she is my second oldest. And my wife is back in Uganda with our four other children. And uh, she's holding down the fort. And every time I leave, something always happens. And so, but unfortunately, something's happening right now. I need your guys prayer for. One of our missionaries from, U- uh, from Rocky Mountain Calgary, his name's Cassie. And some of you know her. And she's been sick for the last week and she's admitted in the hospital. Think it might be COVID, we're not sure. But it's gone through her lungs and now she's got pneumonia she's on oxygen and i asked her today i talked to her and i asked her today if it's okay if i bring it up to the to the church she says please it's my family i need them to know what's going on and so please be praying for us rebecca got into a car and drove six hours south this morning um, just to be with cassie to help her out we thought she was going to come out of it and it just kept getting worse and worse and so my wife just got in the car and to take up, and just took off and went down there and uh, Kampala is not the easiest place to drive, and my wife, navigating her way through, I'm pretty proud of her, and says so she hates driving there. Um, but she's there with Cassie right now. Please be lifting her up in your prayers if you wouldn't mind. And so, hopefully she'll, she'll just recover real soon, and they'll figure out what it is. We will find out if it is COVID within probably the next few hours. We're just not sure. It takes 12 to 24 hours to get the test to come back. Okay? Um, well, when this year started, it's 2020, it seemed to be like it was going to be a good year. It just sounds like a good year, 2020. And, uh, for us, you know, when it, when the, when the lockdown came, it came down in March and we were trying to figure out, should we stay or should we go? I mean, security is a little shaky there. And we were trying to figure out, do we get on a plane now or next week or not? And our team, we were having these conversations and these discussions. Um, and we just all decided, we feel like God has us here for a purpose. Um, and we need to be going through this with him. We just didn't know what was going to come. I mean, when you have a, a society like that, it's been through war and hardship and it's not as well put together maybe as our structure here is, here It is. Um, can get dicey real quickly. And the people can get angry, and who knows what would happen. Those are all the thoughts that go on through your head constantly, right? But we just prayed. We just felt like, the Lord, had this there for a reason? And we're going to stay. And I'm so glad we did. And, uh, and I'm coming back here this weekend to say thank you. Because Rocky Mountain Calvary stepped up, and we were able to do so much ministry with you having our backs and supporting us through prayer and through finances so we can do as much as we possibly could. Um, our school shut down, and we were trying to figure out, well, what are we going to do? I'm not going to sit around. And so we're like, well, there's a lot of people right now that feel um, maybe scared, fearful, a lot of uncertainty. And so we just went to the, the, the largest Christian radio station called Favor FM. We said, we want to be on as much as we possibly can. And we, just, we went on. Uh, we got our contract, and we were on a total of 52 times a month just communicating the gospel and I wasn't teaching 52 times a month I would teach live and they would record it and they would play it at opportune times throughout the days and it was remarkable the response I just didn't understand what kind of uh, response we would get but there are very few TVs in Uganda it's like the U.S. in the 1940s everybody gets their news their entertainment off the radio and so we were able to just communicate the gospel. We were doing call-ins, and people were asking just wonderful questions. People were coming to Christ over the radio, and it's gone so well. We're going to keep it going. Um, we're going to keep that radio ministry going. Um, the food distribution, guys. There's no unemployment benefits in Uganda. When the government shut everything down, people didn't. They don't have anything. Um, their their paychecks stop. And so we're trying to figure out. Well. Where is our part here? How can we help out? We stepped out in faith. We said, let's figure out how we can feed people through our churches and have our farm produce the food. And let's go out and let's figure out how to just meet with people, pray with them, tell them about the Lord, give them a food package that would last like a week and a half for their families. In three months, we fed 7,000 families. And every family on average is five people. That's 35,000 people. We were able to feed, RMC provided for half of that budget to be able to do that. And we split it up within our churches. Every person that came in to get the food for their family was told the gospel, they were prayed over. And we saw many come to Christ because of it. And there were very few uh, people handing out food at that time. It was us and another friend of ours who was a missionary over there. They, They did it for about a month and they did a lot as well. And we were pretty much the only show in town, us two our organization and his organization. And so thank you so much. It really, really, really meant a lot to us and means a lot to us that I know our church has our back. We were getting churches from Australia as well, Uh, England helping out. It was really cool to see the body of Christ move globally to help out with that. And so we stopped uh, July 31st because that's when the crops come in. When this COVID thing hit and they did the government lockdown, and they shut everything down and shut the economy down. It was the worst time to do it because you call it starvation months because we, our people farm. And it was just, we're coming out of the dry season, April's, you know, the rain comes in and then they, they dig up the ground, they garden, they plant their, their crops and they wait till about July to get their food. And most families run out of food storage. Um, it just kind of goes dry. And then everything in the market's really expensive. And so it was the worst time, but this is the best time for us to come in. And so praise God for what happened there. And uh, we were feeding certain groups of people. We were feeding teachers. We were feeding transportation workers. We just, we just took turns. We fed, fed a lot of people that suffer HIV because to take their medicine to stay alive, they have to take it with food. And so when people don't, they have a lack of food, then they're going to, stop taking their medicine, and they're going to have compromised immune systems, and they can get the virus. And so we fed a lot of those people. And one really interesting group of people we decided to feed was 450 prostitutes. And it was insane. Like sitting at the church. We had two churches handing out the food, and we just split them 50-50. 50 50 going this way, 50 the other. I was just sitting there just watching a line of them coming into the church. And we had our, women's ministry, our women in our church today ready to pray for them. And they were bawling. They were crying. They were telling their story. They hate it. They hate what they're doing. They can't get out of it. They were promised a job when they got to, to Gulu. And they got stood up and they didn't, so they couldn't get back home. They didn't have family. They didn't have friends. And next thing you know, here comes the guy. And they got into it. Now the community shames them. So they, can't have, they don't have friends. So they just kind of like grouped together. And so many people came to Christ that time. So many of those prostitutes came to Christ. And they're just bawling and crying. But the community, they don't know how to handle that. And so what we found ourselves within like a few days, we started hearing this chatter and this rumors about like, why is Terebeth doing such things like this? These people are illegal. Why are they getting the food? Why other people who are not illegal, not getting the food? And so it was a game day decision I heard about it when we went into, We were ready to go into the radio station, and I said, let's just change up the, change up the message to address the situation. So we brought up Luke chapter 7, the woman, the sinful woman, going in and washing Jesus' feet with her tears and drying them off with the hair, and she was one of them, those types of people. And it changed the dialogue in the entire community. There was, in the market, we have a huge indoor market, women selling vegetables and fruits and whatnot, and they were just like so upset with us. And then after they heard the message, because everybody listens to the radio, so they all heard the message, and when one of our pastors went in, his name is Pastor Jimmy, he went in, they said, we were so upset, but then when we heard the message on the radio, now we all understand why you guys did it, and praise God. And it's just so neat to see people with open hearts like that, who are willing, but In our community, in our churches, we would say, yes, let's go out and do that. But in there, they're so new. They're baby Christians. Like Pastor Fred was saying in there, it's like first-generation Christians. They don't understand it. And it's our job to go in there and say, if Jesus was here, would he do anything? Would he go after them or would he shun them? And so it's just really interesting opportunities that were coming our way because of this. And so, man, what a whirlwind of a year. It's happening, now schools are back up and opening back up, and um, we did a really good job as a country to to keep that COVID from spreading, and man, now it's just going all over the place. But people seem to be handling it pretty well. Um, That went through our family as well, and my wife, she kind of suffers a little bit in the chest, a little bit, but she was able to recover somewhat fast. I had one meal where I couldn't taste anything, I'm assuming I had it. My wife got it a week and a half after I I experienced that, so I'm assuming I gave it to her. I don't know, but praise God, um, we're doing well. And so I want, oh, thank you. I want to encourage you through the scriptures today. I want to, my goal is to get you to understand what you're doing by being a part of Rocky Mountain Calvary. You're a team, you're all, we, are, we are together, we're doing this together. I could not do what I'm doing without you guys, your support, your prayers. Sometimes you guys sh- shoot out emails encouraging us, but you have truly sent us. And you've, you've gotten our backs at Terabeth as an organization as well, and you have, I, I wanna communicate what we are doing as a team tonight. I want you to be encouraged, and I think we all should probably could use a little bit of encouragement, (laughs) right? After this week, it's just, just nuts, man, but God's on the throne, and you're going to see that. He's on the throne. I want to communicate some of these stories of what's going on there, and you can see how darkness is being defeated and how the kingdom of God is always going to win. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus over tonight. I pray that I can deliver a message that's understandable, one that could get somebody to worship you more, to glorify you. Lord, I'm coming back here to communicate what you're doing over there through all of us. And I just have the privilege of being on the ground there, seeing it, and I have the privilege of communicating it and encouraging people. Can this message be one of encouragement, but one of enlightenment as well? People can see the scriptures and come alive. And so just be with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight's going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to stick to one passage. I'm going to be talking about the Great Commission and how when you're doing the Great Commission, it's not only just communicating the gospel and going out making disciples, but it's also doing the work and taking care of the least of these in your community. And we're going to see it through the scripture. It was there. It's always there. And it encourages us if we can just go back and just meditate upon it and see how God was doing it. And quite frankly, we've sort of modeled our ministry at Terabeth Ministries after the passages that I'm going to talk about. And I even talked about it in the video. So in Matthew 28 is the Great Commission. It's the last words in the gospel of Matthew. When I took off and went to Uganda to start up a school, it was the, these verses that got me to think about what I'm supposed to start doing. And so, if you want to just turn there real fast, Matthew 28. Starting in 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. As a missions pastor, uh, before Dan, I was before Dan. I was a missions pastor here. And anytime you're a missions pastor, this is kind of like the Hallmark passage. You go to missions conferences, they're always going to talk about this because it's a commissioning for the church to go out and do something. That's what we do in missions. We're commissioned to go out and do something in the name of Jesus. And when I left, I was, listen, man, I'm like, I'm moving my family halfway around the world to Uganda. And I had to come back to this passage. All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. I wrote on that one. Like, he told me to go to the nations. I'm called to go, personally, with my family, in his authority. Not my authority, nobody's authority. He has the authority. And he said he's never going to leave me nor forsake me. So I'm just going to step out in faith, take off out the boat, and start walking towards him because it's not the easiest move in the world to do that. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to make a disciple. That's my goal. And I'm going to do that by teaching them all that Jesus commanded. Not some of it, but all of it. I'm going to get people to proclaim the name of Christ, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so when we went there, it's just like, we are going to find these pastors they are influencers. They have many people that they teach every single weekend. Every single weekend, they're teaching. 95% of the pastors have no formal training whatsoever. So who knows what they're teaching, right? They're just out there teaching whatever comes to mind because they just don't know. So I'm going to go and we're just going to walk through the entire Bible. Jesus met the disciples and walked with them for three years. have a three-year school. I'm seriously going off of it just like this. It was that that simple. It wasn't much thought to it. I'm just going to teach every single book of the Bible how they all fit together. That's what we did. And as we're doing that, other verses, they start jumping out at you. If you guys turn to Acts chapter 1. And this is what we, like church planters, people in, you know, going around the world and trying to get things that are happening. Uh, um, trying to expand the church or whatnot. They, they kind of latch on to this verse. And it's actually the last words that we have of Jesus before he ascended to heaven. So he has his disciples sitting in front of him. And he says in verse 8 of chapter 1, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Locally, to the farthest place possible. You're going to be a witness of me, he says. To the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he told the disciples. And so they waited for the Holy Spirit in chapter two. We see it, Pentecost. All the nations are present in Jerusalem because they have to be. It's a Jewish feast that's required. It's Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection. That's why we call it Pentecost. You start counting the resurrection, start counting 50 days. And that's when the Holy Spirit came, 120 of them sitting in an upper room, men and women, Holy Spirit comes like tongues of fire and drops on them. And then who do you see step out in faith? It's the man who denied Jesus three times, 53 days before that. Peter. It's like a whole new man. Like the Holy Spirit came upon him. It's like, who is this guy? He just completely denied Jesus 53 days ago. Three times. And now he's going to step out. All these Jewish men from all the different nations. And he's going to start communicating the gospel through the Old Testament, how Jesus fulfilled it. It's like the lights turned on. And he's just delivering it, and 3,000 people get saved that day. That's the start of the church. And then as time goes on, 5,000 people get saved. Then it says daily people are coming. And it's, it's just in Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So this is where the church started, right there in Jerusalem, where the temple was, where Jesus was crucified and resurrected. They're they're going to the temple daily. They're getting mad at the disciples because they're turning so many people away from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the old law, and many people are coming to Christ. And then they start like putting Peter in, uh, in prison, going after the disciples, and they didn't care. They just kept preaching. They kept going into the temple and proclaiming the gospel. Turn to Acts chapter 5. So the apostles are in prison, then become free. In the temple, the council... Said, would you please quit preaching in the name of Christ? So in 41, chapter 5, verse 41, so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Man, these guys were bold, they didn't care. And the church was exploding. The whole, something new was happening. It was exciting. Throwing them in prison, they don't care. They'll still proclaim the gospel. And as the church grew, the church grew, everything is good. And chapter 6 comes in. First complaint lobbed at the church. Let's read it. Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, See that word? They were multiplying. There was no addition going on. That church was multiplying. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Hellenists are Grecians. They're from Greece. Greece, uh, a Greek background. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said... It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the first thing I notice when I read that is there seems to be a separation within the early church. Seems to be a little bit of a prejudice, huh? You had the Greek widows, the Hellenists, and then you had um, the, the, the widows that would speak Aramaic, the ones that were from Jerusalem in that area. And it looks like there was a little bit of prejudice, and so then the Hellenists would step up and say, why are you neglecting our widows? The apostles, they didn't argue with it, they knew. They knew, and one of the you read and there's a lot of speculation about what's going on here exactly, but we do know that people would come to Jerusalem um, to to die to be buried there because it was like the promised land that's what God gave them. So even if they're of a, a Jewish origin far away, they would still come to Jerusalem, and that's where they would end the uh, finish their life off. And they could have these widows; they were married at one time. Now, they're not, and they would come to Jerusalem because there was a structure in place, like a social structure to help feed them. And so they would come there for that re- those reasons as well. What's interesting, when you read this, it so- kind of sounds like when you first read it, the apostles were almost too good for this, right? They can't wait tables. That's not the case whatsoever, They were kind of in the same dilemma of of Moses in chapter 18 of Exodus. When he was just taking on all the counseling and he's leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. And then Jethro, his father-in-law, comes in and says, you can't do all of this. So you pick some quality men and they can help you judge and govern the people. And he did that. And that's what's happening here. They're kind of following in that order. So it looks. And so... These New Testament Christians, these apostles were taking over a ministry for widows. Widows were coming to them. Why were they coming to them? Why were they having to feed the widows? That's an important part here because what we're going to see is this was an Old Testament thing that God wanted the children of Israel to do but it carried over into the New Testament church, meaning we should pay attention to it. There's some things in the Old Testament that don't carry over. Like you can eat shrimp all day long now. You can eat a cheeseburger, bacon, amen? But when it comes to the usually the social justice things of taking care of people, loving your neighbor as yourself, taking care of the least of these, oh, Jesus doubled down on it. And it's a mark of the church. That's what we do. And they were so busy, the church was exploding so fast, They just could not handle it and they needed to set it up. They needed to have strategy and they picked some men full of the Holy Spirit to do this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you back into the Old Testament and kind of walk through some scriptures with you that these apostles knew well. And you can see the heart of God for these groups of people. The widow, the fatherless, and the immigrant, or the stranger, in the land. And so I'm going to start, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I got to think, six slides, six Old Testament scriptures. There's more than six. I just put six up, the ones I wanted to use so you can kind of see. So you're not flipping through. If you want to flip through, you're more than welcome to. But I'm throwing them up there for you. And what you're going to see is the first, the first verse is Exodus chapter 22. Now, let me set the stage for you. Exodus 22 in this, this area is when Moses takes the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. They had been slaves for 400 years. They've been beaten up. They have been following a horrible ruler, Pharaoh. They're treated as slaves. It was hard living. And then when Moses brings them out of that and brings them into the wilderness, he goes up on Mount Sinai guess on what day? Pentecost. On Pentecost. And God speaks to him. God speaks to him. And he comes down with the rules. How do these people who have been slaves for 400 years interact with the one true God? And God wants them to take these rules, these laws, because it strengthens their community and it glorifies him. And he creates this covenant with them. It's like a handshake. God is making, doing a handshake with these people. Making this covenant. We call it the Mosaic covenant or the Sinite covenant. And when Moses comes down, famously he comes down with what? The Ten Commandments. But he also has some other things he comes down with and he's going to start talking about them going into 21 through 24. Chapters 21 through 24. And in this covenant... This is what he says, You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child, if you afflict them in any way, and they cry out at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. Like, there are these special types of people he has compassion for, and he wants his chosen people to look out for the stranger, the widow, and the fatherless. They're like VIPs to God. And this is a call that Israel was to, to, um, to go after and maintain this order here. Because if they cry, God hears it. Watch out. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 14, 28 through 29. This is a really interesting passage to me. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hand which you do. So here's the Levite, God's special people who are ministering in the tabernacle, for the people. I mean, they're so set apart. They're so fortunate. They're so close to God. And they're they're not given land. They're given this relationship with God. It's so unique. Everybody respects the Levite because they're the priests. They're special people. And and every third year, all the nation of Israel, all of them will, on the third year, they would tithe their produce and store it in the storehouse. So the Levite could go and get his food. But as the Levite would be standing at the storehouse door, who was next to him? This widow, the fatherless, and the stranger sitting at that door next to that Levite, the priest. So interesting to see God's chosen people and right next to them. Are these people the least of these? And they're getting that same blessing of the Levite sitting there. And the people of Israel would provide for them as they provided for the Levite. In Deuteronomy twenty four seventeen, he tells the children of Israel, You shall not pervert justice due to the stranger or the fatherless, nor take a widow's garment as a pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there, Therefore, I command you to do this thing. Do not dare cross a widow and steal from her or the fatherless. You defend them. And you do it because you were once fatherless. He wants the children of Israel to put themselves in the same position when they were fatherless in the land of Egypt for those 400 years. So how do you think this worked out for Israel? I could just tell you it's not very good. So as time went on, hundreds of years goes by. After King David, after Solomon, the land of Israel gets divided, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. Nineteen kings in the north are all bad. Twenty kings in the south, twenty rulers in the south. Eight of them were good. The rest were bad. And guess what they started doing? Not taking care of these special groups of people. And Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, he's going to call them out. Look at Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. "'Wash yourself. "'Make yourselves clean. "'Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. "'Cease to do evil. "'Learn to do good. "'Seek justice. "'Rebuke the oppressor. "'Defend the fatherless.' Plead for the widow. If you do these things, God's punishment will not come upon you. But the reason why Assyria has taken out the north and Babylon is going to come and take out the south is because they were into idolatry and they weren't taking care of the least of these in their community. They were going against everything that God said in the law back in Exodus and Deuteronomy. And God was going to curse them for that. The nation of Israel is being punished because they weren't defending them. And I have one more just for good measure because it's always taken out of context. Malachi 3, 9 through 10. For you have robbed me. God's telling Israel, you have robbed me. You have stolen from me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me, and another version might say, test me. Now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there would be no room enough to receive it. Ah, prosperity gospel teachers, they love this verse. They love saying it. Test God. Go ahead and tithe, he'll triple it. You'll be set up in your house. We have a lot of prosperity gospel teachers in Uganda they tee off on these people, man. They'll come in and just say, you, if you give me something now, test God, you'll see. Test him. You give and watch what happens next year. You'll get a house, you'll get a car, you'll do these things. And they fall for it. It's so, we even do it in the U.S. These, go- these prosperity gospel teachers, they even do it. This is not talking about that kind of prosperity. This is a different one. Go back And fill up the storehouse the third year with your tithes so we can feed more widows, the fatherless, and the strangers. Test me, he says. I will provide for you if you provide for these people. You go to Isaiah chapter 10, you see they get punished for not following through. So... The apostles knew the scriptures, and they knew God's heart for the widow. And once that complaint was lobbed against them, that these people are strangers in the land, they're widows, and they're not being treated fairly, we got to do something about this. Because we want to love God, we want to serve God, and these people are VIPs in God's kingdom. I love it. I just absolutely love it when it all pieces together and you see the early church, they take this on. They take this on. And then James one twenty seven is the last one I'm going to throw up. This is Jesus' brother. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he said this to the church, pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted. From the world. Pure. Like if you were to think about it in the the terms of gold, it's not 14 karat, it's not 18 karat, it's 24 karat gold. That's what. Super valuable. And God says, if you as a church, if we as a church do this, in His eyes, it's pure Christianity, pure religion. That's what Jesus' brother said to the church. So when we started our ministry, it was go teach the pastors to know the entire Bible so they understand the heartbeat of God, and let's get them to train their churches and go out. It was as simple as that, and it was the Great Commission and that passage right there. So let's get back now and see what happens in the early church when they decide to fix the problem. So let's go back into chapter 6. Verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. So the multitude, they went out and they picked seven men full of uh, the Holy Spirit, good reputation, well-known, and it pleased the multitude. They chose Stephen, which you'll see in the next chapter, the first martyr of the church, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, you'll see him, after, after Stephen, go out to Samaria and then lead the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. The Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, the proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. They didn't pick just your average people. They picked the best they had among them to take care of this group of people, these widows. Men full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. Everybody appreciated these men. They were valuable to the apostles. But yet so many times, the communities, they won't see the widow or the fatherless as valuable, so they would never throw the best resources at them but the apostles understood God's heart for this group of people. So they picked the best men to oversee this ministry. So as they come to the tables and they receive their food, they didn't know how to handle them all. And then the word of God spread. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith Because they did this, and the widows were being taken care of, it says the disciples multiplied greatly. And if you know my teaching, you know I always pick out these types of words. They're, they're using that word so you understand the significance. Not, it wasn't a small multiplication. It was a great multiplication. When the community saw the teaching of the, when they heard the teaching of the word, and they saw it in action... The church exploded. It expanded. And what's really interesting that we see here is the priests in the temple came to faith. And how many of them? Many of the priests. A great many of the priests. Phenomenal to me. It To me, what it brings back a teaching that Jesus did on the Sermon on the Mount when he's saying, be the light of the world. He said, let your light shine before men so they see your good works so they may glorify their Father in heaven. And that's what's happening here. And many people are coming to Christ because of what they're doing. So the stories I have coming in from Uganda Because of the feeding, because of the words going out the way it is, and the churches are really doing a really good job of doing the ministry, what we're seeing is an expansion of the churches. Our churches had to go into small groups, and next thing you know, from 10 small groups to 30 small groups within several months. There was an elected official, we call him an LC1. He's an elected official, he's an important person in the community. He saw what was happening in Pastor Samuel's church, he and his guys, and one day they were sitting and listening to the radio program, and they decided this church and what this organization is doing is pure. So he comes to Pastor Samuel with all his people, and they said, We want to give our lives to Christ because what we are seeing and hearing, you're different. And they came to Christ right there, these elected officials. And they just ran right into a small group. We're seeing things like that on the ground. Let me explain to you kind of how this works. I have a picture that I, I, I took, uh, the guys took just several days ago. These are some, these are most of our pastors that we've selected from our school to be over our widows program. They've all been trained in the school they all go through the school, they understand from Genesis to Revelation and God's heart for the entire scripture. And these are some of the best that we have. And what we have done is that we've put a certain amount of widows within their communities to come to them to be a part of the program. And so we've trained these guys and now they're going to their churches and then they'll take three, five or seven or even nine committee members, depending on how many widows they are assigned in that church. And they'll train them up. So the pastor is over the committee members, and then those committee members are going out on a weekly basis to those assigned widows, and each committee member will have three, four, or five widows assigned to them. And every week they're going to the widow, ministering to the widow, praying over the widow, making sure the widow is okay. And then once a month, they come to the church, all the widows come to the church, and they receive a substantial food package. Most of these widows have about four, or five, or even six fatherless children that they're also feeding, and they are dirt poor. But what we have seen with these widows is they have banded together within those churches. For some of those churches, the strongest part of the church is the widows coming together and doing the work of the ministry in the church. Because they feel fortunate, they feel blessed, they're super faithful, they're prayer warriors, and they love the Lord. And they're being ministered to on a weekly basis. I got an awesome story for you. What you're going to see is Pastor Samuel and one of his disciples, Dennis, and another lady named Josephine. If you go ahead and put it up on the slide, you're more than welcome to. And so Samuel is on the left. He's one of our main leaders. You saw him in the video, actually. He teaches. He's, a, he's the pastor of Calvary Chapel, 12 Spring. The guy next to him is Dennis. It's one of Samuel's disciples. He also went through our school and graduated last year. And the lady next to Dennis is one of Dennis's widows that he's assigned to. This widow, Josephine, came into the program last year. We went out, we saw that she had a need. She was a witch doctor. But she, she, she had a need, and so we weren't going to judge her. Within three months of the church coming, loving her, telling her the word of God, feeding her, guess what happens to Josephine? She comes to Christ. And so just three weeks ago, she decided, I want to take these idols that I have that I was using for, for my practice. When people would come in, we would do these spells, we would do these curses or whatever it was, and she would help them and she would just rule by fear. She's been doing it for years. She's like, I'm gonna burn them. So she did a burning ceremony. We we're all holding hands around this fire. And as this woman just watched, all these things that she held so dear, that's what she made her money with, that was her identity. She was able to rule people with fear. And for years she tried to curse her siblings and her siblings were just in such a, just a gridlock and they could never get along. And she's like, would you please come? She was asking her siblings, would you please come so we can reconcile? I found Jesus and they're like, We're not coming, we're terrified that the demon that was in you allowing you to do witchcraft is going to get mad at us and jump out of her, and they are just ruled by fear, and she's like, whatever, I believe in Jesus, Jesus is way more powerful than anything that this darkness was. And here she is now within the church, this witch doctor that came to Christ like three or four months ago, getting ministered to. Let me put the cherry on the top on this one. When we were doing the food distribution, she had a troubled daughter who was one of the prostitutes. She saw what was happening with her mom and she saw the love of the church and she needed food. And she went and she got saved and she came to Christ. So here we have this witch doctor and her daughter who was a prostitute come to Christ all within like a month time frame. You're like, This is the exact reason why I moved to Uganda right there. And I have to come back and just scream it to you, what's happening over there. Now, this is a spectacular story. It's not like I have witch doctors all over the place coming to Christ. I don't want to say that. But there are hurting people all over the place that need to know Christ. And when we train up a pastor to know the power of God, know his majesty and know what he cares about and his heartbeat and then they go out and they live it out purely. What you see is the Holy Spirit to stir things up and then people surrender their life and they come to the light, they come to Jesus and then God gets the glory. That's what's happening. We have 150 widows in our program right now, 150. There's thousands more that we could handle, that we could bring in, that we could love. We have many more pastors that we could bring in to also be a part of this. For me, it just doesn't get better. It's from, when I read the scripture and I see it, I'm just like, yes, we can do this and watch Jesus move, and you just get out there, and you just, and, but you got to move. You got to get out. You got to go. He said, go and make a disciple. He didn't say wait and have him come to you. We got to get out, guys. And this is what I love about RMC. Again, I'm proud of RMC. This was my church. I was saved here 20 years ago. I was discipled here, and I was sent from here. I was brought on staff and then sent from here. And we have a church that has a widow's program. We have a church that has a benevolence program designed for widows. We have a food pantry that many widows can come in from the community. We support Mercy's Gate, which hits a large portion of those people in the community. Focus countries. Peru has a widows program now. If you go to Light Shine down in Mexico, they have, a, or they have a ministry that's really designed for the fatherless child. And many of those kids have Widowed moms that they are ministered to in the Tatamata community. And the Tatamatas are also strangers in the community as well. And so, we as a church, together, we're doing something. But we can't do it without us being as, as a team, right? And so, my goal this weekend was just to come and say thank you. But I also have to defend the fatherless, I also have to defend the widow. And if, if there's any possible way that you would say, yes, I want to be a part of that, just please, anything helps. And what we can do is uh, just keep adding, I would love to double the widows program to up to 300 widows this next year. If this is something that's on your heart and you don't have anything else and you're looking for something, man, I would love to have you on the team. I'm going to be on that, that table back there. You'll see me. You can go online and you can, you can look up a little bit more about what we do. But thank you. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart.